Virginia and Virginia Tech are moving up in the national basketball rankings, while football players are coming and going in the transfer portal. We'll talk about all that and a lot more this week on Teal and Barber. Episode 98 of Peel and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good morning, Mike, and uh, happy World Cup semifinal day. Yeah, it's time to get through this and, and get back to the television. Uh, and over here, David, do you have a, a rooting interest in the World Cup? I mean, we were obviously Team USA here, and, and that uh, never lasts too far into the, into the draw. Uh, is there a favorite in the Teal House? Well, we were kind of rooting for the Brits once the Americans went down because we have some friends doing a, a, a two-year sabbatical over there uh, for for the man's job. But uh, they went down to the French. So now we got what the, the defending champion France. So perhaps we'll root for them. That's fair. That's that's fair. I mean, very uh, Eurocentric as we go through this thing. Yeah, I think so. It would be cool to see Messi win, win him a World Cup on the way out the door. And obviously, everybody loves an underdog with with Morocco. Morocco is, yeah. is a great story. If if you haven't been following, read up on them. That's a uh, uh, certainly unusual, the first team from, from the African continent to reach this far. and yeah, Don't um, want to get them in PKs. No, I was just going to say, they, <laughs> they've got some magic going there, and uh, that just feeds into that underdog story. Well, David, I don't know if, I don't know if we were an underdog. I don't know if we were a favorite, but we're, we're just two episodes away from making it to, to number 100 with this show. Uh, did, did you think we were going to make it into triple digits? I was just hoping to get to number two, Mike. <laughs> I remember getting to number two being a little bit harder, actually, than getting, I think, to, to 98 here. Some of those uh, early ones were a little rough. But uh, if we stay on schedule, if I'm doing my math right, episode 100 would, would drop just after Christmas. That could be a, a great Christmas gift for the listeners, although I'm thinking there's a chance we, we might take that week off. Yeah, maybe, maybe we postpone till the new year. That could work, or maybe maybe we'll pre-record something special. We'll, we'll have to think a little bit on that, and uh, might have to pop what... a bottle of champagne or something on. I think we should really be doing that on every episode. <laughs> a bottle of something it might uh, might make me more uh, easy to listen to. Uh, David, we got we got started here in in the barber household decorating for the holidays as we're we're talking a little Christmas, New Year's, holiday season. Uh, our tree's up now in the living room. We're, we've already begun the process of. The dogs knocking ornaments off, the kids getting mad, and, and us having to put them back on. Uh, when do you get into all that at, at Casa del Teal there? Well, this year we did it one day early, Mike, because we did our Thanksgiving on Wednesday because our nephew, who is a freshman at Alabama, was going with his family on Thursday to start the trek back to Tuscaloosa for the Iron Bowl. Very nice. So Thanksgiving was on Wednesday. Thursday, we went out, found a tree, got that in the house. And then Friday, while I was traveling somewhere, uh, Jill and Laura got the tree decorated. Now, so are you, you're always a day after Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's done, put yes. the turkeys away and move on. Yes. 
you, you would get along well with my wife. She is, uh, I'm carving the turkey and she's moving the, the tree into position. So a mm-hmm. uh, lot of overlap there. So you got a nephew there, freshman at Alabama, year one. Is he going to be at Alabama year two, or is he going to be one of those names in, in the transfer portal? Because, David, it feels like everybody, everywhere, every school, they got a load of guys in the transfer portal. He is he is a uh, intramural swimmer. I don't know if there's a portal for intramural athletics, but he appears to love him some Tuscaloosa. And I don't know that it has anything to do with his academics. Yeah, there's a lot going on beyond that, but hopefully he'll suffer into a rhythm on the academic side as well, I'm sure. Uh, but in all seriousness, David, it's been uh, just a wild week and a half in the NCAA transfer portal, the window opening for football players. We took a couple weeks off from this podcast. We had a loyal listener joke that he was afraid maybe we had gone into the transfer portal. We didn't. Uh, but there is a lot of talent there. The window for this period doesn't close for them until the middle of January. Uh, is the reaction, the response, the numbers that we're seeing in the portal about what you expected um, or a little bit more than, than maybe you anticipated? I think it's about what I expected, Mike, which means it's a ton. Yeah. And and there are, there are so many factors at play here. Number one, it's still a rather novel concept, this freedom of movement. Number two, and I think of equal import here, is the COVID year. That extra year of eligibility that the NCAA awarded to athletes has created this glut of athletes available who can take that extra year, who might want to explore a transfer that they otherwise would not have available to them. So you combine those two things, and that's why I believe we see the masses currently. Yeah, and I'd throw in NIL. I think there's some kids out there that are wondering, hey, you know, especially Mm -hmm. you make a great point about the extra year. A lot of these kids have finished their degree. A lot of them who are, you know, I'd say very loyal and and sticking with their school meant something to them, feel like, hey, I've given my four seasons. I've fulfilled kind of my contract, if you will. And now there's this question of, hey, I'm a veteran player. I've got some real value. I've put it on film. I maybe have a better sense of what my NFL outlook is. And if it's not great, maybe there's a chance to go ahead and, and make some money, play one extra year of college ball. Uh, I think those are all factors, and you're absolutely right. I, I'm not surprised. I am shocked and staggered by how big the number is, just because I don't think I had in my head an idea of what the number might be. So yeah. when we went over the 1,000 mark for football players in the portal, my eyes kind of bugged out of my head just because I, I didn't have a guess for a figure going in. I thought it would be massive. I thought tons of kids would be in it. I thought there'd be a lot of kids, and we've seen research on this, going in and, and maybe not finding a home, uh, right. not finding a landing spot, which is a concern. Um, but I don't know that I had had a, a number in my head. No, I, I, I didn't either. And in, we tend to focus, because it's right after the season, on football. And and those are, are, are the big names. But, Mike, th- this is not a football-centric uh, movement in college athletics. This is everyone. It's just that football sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Do you have a guess of how many athletes ballpark across all sports, across all divisions, uh, are currently in the NCAA transfer portal? It's got to be easy five figures. 
it is 13,000 plus yeah. At, yeah. At, at last time I, I was able to check with a source, 13,000 plus yeah. um, total athletes. Um, and it's interesting, man. It, you, you know, there's all sorts of, there's grad transfers. There's D3 guys. There's sure. guys with a year to play. There's guys who were freshmen and redshirted and have their whole careers ahead of them. There's guys with little red uh, triangles by their name that say they don't want to be contacted. Um, I'm not quite sure what that, what you're doing <laughs> there. I guess maybe you're reaching out or I, I'm not sure how that Cubs, but uh, I thought that was an odd designation within uh, from talking to people who, who recruit from the portal. Um, that's an interesting designation to, to have your name in there and say you don't want to be contacted. But um, no, it is. It, it is a massive thing. It is emerging. We're learning more about it. And of course, David, the NCAA transfer portal, if you're a football team or any sport, it, it both giveth and, and taketh away, right? Oh, I yeah. Mean, these teams that are losing people, sure, that hurts. They're remaking their roster with people they're getting out of the transfer portal. Uh, look at Virginia Tech, and you wrote about this. If you haven't read uh, David's latest column, it's up right now on Richmond.com. But you wrote about you know teams losing people, and then what can they add? And, and you look at Virginia Tech and Caleb Smith, a starting wide receiver. You know that's a big loss. Armani Chapman, who started at corner, that's a big loss. Keyshawn Artis, who played a ton at linebacker, big loss. But David Ali Jennings, uh, Highland Springs former star, played at Old Dominion, uh, who was never recruited by Tech. Out of, out of high school, never offered, and, and it really bugged him. He's now <laughs> going to be a Hokie. They got a quarterback from Baylor. So Virginia Tech seems to be doing all right in terms of maybe upgrading, as you mentioned in your column, some firepower here. Yeah, that it's, to be very charitable, the offense was a little dormant this season. It's in, Yeah, in, in Blacksburg and, and in Charlottesville. Oh, yeah. For for that matter, so I I think it was incumbent upon Brent Pry and his staff to go out and find some skilled people in in the portal and in Kyron Drones, the quarterback at, at Baylor, <clears throat> who has three years of eligibility remaining, uh, at least maybe even four, uh, because he redshirted in uh, in twenty one and played in five games this year. Uh, and then you've got Ali Jennings, who's got one more season left. He started his college career at West Virginia for two years, then two years at Old Dominion. And this season, he's number three in the country in receiving yards per game. Now, he missed the Monarchs' last three outings with a lower extremity injury. Um, but he, I mean, in his per catch average, almost 17.8 yards a catch. That, to me, is what is striking because the Hokies need that down-the-field threat, and he will provide it. He is a big play guy, and David, the Hokies got a a good look at at that because he set up the game-winning score when Old Dominion Mm -hmm. beat Virginia Tech this year. It it was his catch that got them down there inside the five uh, to set up the Monarchs' game-winning touchdown. Um, It is an interesting dynamic because he had some, uh, I don't know, braggadocious words going into that game, yeah, mm-hmm. right? You know, and sure. Uh, but it shows you too that um, a lot of that is pride and showmanship, right? There wasn't any acrimony or bitterness. Plus it's a, it's a new coaching staff. Right. Uh, and the Fontel Mines connection. I was just going to say there's, there's yeah. a tie there uh, in Fontel Mines who coaches the, the receivers at tech who has been at old dominion has been a number of places around and, and is just a very well-loved recruiter and not one of those guys who is just well-loved in recruiting. The guys who then play for him continue to love him. <laughs> um, and certainly that connection makes a lot of sense. And, and it's the Richmond connection, too. I mean, Mines is a Hermitage guy. 
He knew Ali's brother. Um, he's been a family mentor. Uh, Ali was telling me he's known Fontel since he was five years old. Yeah. So, you know, th- this is something that goes way back. And I think it was you who tweeted the, the minute you heard that Jennings was in the portal. Virginia Tech was just a natural fit here. And it, it just seemed inevitable that that's where he would land. Yeah, it makes too much sense. And, and, and like I said, the, the stuff with, with being a little bit irked by not being recruited, I, I think some of that was was for fun and um, enjoying game week and, and living it up. And no, he's going to be a, a great addition. Uh, he's a great kid uh, off the field, but he's going to be a great addition, uh, I would think. Um, what do we know about the Baylor quarterback other than the fact that he's young and, and has got some years to play and develop? Well, he was MVP, Mike, of the 2019 Class 5A state championship game in Texas. Threw for a buck 80, ran for, I think it was a buck 40 and two touchdowns. Signed with Baylor, came down to Baylor and Auburn. Also had offers from Ole Miss and Pitt. I mean, he was he was a pretty big time recruit. Now, TCU offered him as, as well. And now he's going to be a Hokie. He's got good size to him. And, you know, he hadn't played a lot of football at the college level, but you have to think that the Hokies are going to give him every chance to win that job from the incumbent, Grant Wells, who had, I think, by anyone's estimation, a pedestrian season in his first year as Tech starter. Yeah, he, he's going to be, we'll talk more, uh, I'm sure, in the spring about Grant, but he's going to be a fascinating story in the sense of, did we see Grant Wells this past year, mm-hmm. or is there another level? Is there is there a year of comfort uh, with these coaches, with this system, with his teammates? Um, is he going to come back in the spring and look like a whole different quarterback, uh, or, or is Virginia Tech pretty comfortable if they know what they have with him, and that's why they're out looking for something more? That That's going to be interesting to see. Quarterback is going to be a big story this spring in Charlottesville because Brennan Armstrong is one of Virginia's names in the transfer portal. Cavaliers and Tony Elliott, as of this morning, four starters uh, in the portal. You have Armstrong at quarterback. You have Nick Jackson, uh, the all-conference linebacker, Fentrell Cypress, the all-conference corner, and John Paul Flores, a veteran who started at left guard for them. They've made some additions. They added a quarterback for Mammoth an offensive lineman from a D2 school in Michigan. Uh, biggest pickup has been uh, biggest, an undersized, but very productive uh, wide receiver from Northwestern. Yeah, Malik Washington. Yeah, he's very good at, at Northwestern. And, and, you know, we've seen what Virginia has done with Billy Kemp. So certainly uh, yep. a chance for him to, to be real good here. But uh, those additions don't, in my opinion, cancel out the subtractions right now. And, and Armstrong and Jackson, I mean, David, those were the team captains. Those were the guys who led the transition and the loyalty to Tony Elliott uh, and to the Virginia program when Elliott was hired. Um, Losing them on and off the field to me is just a massive blow. No question. Now, I know Jackson told you that there's a chance he returns, but our our limited experience with the portal is once someone goes in there looking, especially someone of Nick Jackson's caliber – they're they're going to find uh, what at least they perceive is is greener grass. Oh, I, and, I think Jackson will find much greener grass. I mean, that's a kid with yeah. three straight seasons of a hundred tackles. It, it reminds me um, in both 
him and the impact it'll have on the program, uh, Olu Oluwatimi, mm-hmm. uh, who's now going to play, you know, for a national title. He's in the college football playoffs. He's the uh, Reming- Remington finalist, or have they announced that one? No, he, he, Mike, he won the Remington as the nation's top center, and he won the Outland Trophy as the best interior alignment in the country, offensive or defensive. Right. So this is the premier interior lineman in the entire nation. He was Virginia's starting center. Uh, He went in the Portland. I did a story. I I talked to Olu when he got out to Michigan and he talked about, Hey, he'd never really been recruited at that level. Right. Like he went to air force to start and and, and then he came to Virginia with some connections. And this was the first time that that people, big name people really wanted him. And, And I anticipate that Nick Jackson will find the same Brendan Armstrong, We'll find the same. Fentrell Cypress will find the same. And another factor here, David, is that NIL money. Um, is Nick Jackson an NFL linebacker? I think he's got a good shot. Is Brendan Armstrong an NFL quarterback? Two years ago, I'd say, yeah. After watching him in a pro offense this year, I have more questions. Sure. But these guys have a chance to make some money and potentially cash in uh, in college. I think that's a factor here, too. I don't think there's any question. And there are... There are schools out there, not that Virginia is sitting on its hands on the NIL front, but there are schools doing more, and there there always will be. That's just not Virginia's mission, but it will come with a price. Yeah, I thought Tony Bennett, Virginia's basketball coach, broke it down really well at uh, Charlotte the media days when he talked about, like, hey, Virginia's going to be competitive in the sense of, and we've seen it, they're going to be businesses in town that offer you deals. You're going to be able to make a little money um, off of your status uh, as a Virginia athlete. I drive, when I drive on 29, I, I pass uh, a billboard that has um, Dontavian Wicks on, on one and, and Jonas Sanker on another, uh, the wide receiver and defensive back for a jeweler here in town. I believe the, the jeweler store, the jeweler is a uh, a UVA grad and, and maybe even a former player. So there are connections, there are deals, there are collectives they got going here. Um, is it going to be what we've seen at Miami? <laughs> right? Like it, it's not going to be that. Um, and, and Tony Bennett's point was, look, in his program, I can offer you a chance to compete for a national title. I can offer you a path to the NBA that is proven. I can offer you a top flight education and I can offer you a, a little something on the NIL front. If that package appeals to you, you're a good fit for Virginia. If NIL is number one for you, and it's going to go for football and everything, if NIL is number one for you, Virginia's probably not the school for you, right? Exactly. Um, and Virginia Tech's not going to be the school for you either. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just a reality in the way some of these schools will function and others will function. And to me, the, the approach of having some balance and, and having a little bit of everything, you're going to be competitive and, and be able to, to add players. Um, again, there are going to be some kids that NIL is number one on their, their looking for list. And you're not going to get them. But other kids who have it two, three, four, I think you're going to be competitive there. And you know, a lot of it's going to come down to coaching, which which is another thing that dinged Virginia uh, over the weekend when uh, Garrett Tujay, um, their, I think, very excellent offensive line coach, also their recruiting coordinator, he bolted for a job at North Carolina State. Um, that's a pretty big loss off the, the playing field there, David, for the Cavaliers. It is, and he reunites there with Robert and I, who was, as everyone knows, Virginia's OC from 2016 through 21 under Bronco. And then he went to Syracuse for one season, what turned out to be one season, when 
Bronco uh, resigned. And then when NC State lost Tim Beck, its offensive coordinator, he became the head coach at Coastal Carolina and uh, replacing Jamie Chadwell, who replaced Hugh Freeze. <laughs> you know, we could, we could go on down the line. But now Anai and 2J are together in Raleigh at NC State, and it's, you know, you can't help but connect the dots, right? Is, is that where Brennan Armstrong goes to reunite with his offensive coordinator under whom he set ACC and UVA single season records for total offense and passing yards? And 2J, who, along with Jason Beck, was his primary recruiter coming out of Shelby, Ohio. Certainly makes a lot of sense. Again, you factor in the NIL, somebody may throw a bunch of money at him to start for them for a season, but makes a lot of sense. You mentioned Beck. I'm glad you did. He's getting his shot uh, to be the offensive coordinator at Syracuse. He's staying at the Orange. Um, He was going to be the offensive coordinator slash play caller for Virginia in the bowl game, uh, which of course was canceled. Uh, The Fenway Bowl would have been uh, Broncos final game. Anai had already left the program. Yep. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what he can do there. Uh, David, it's the, the, the carousel of coaching is it's kind of now what we're experiencing on the player front, right? We've always had coaches leaving and moving and trying to find a better spot and a better fit. And um, now we're seeing it for the players too. And, and probably some, some fairness there, I, I think in, in the fact that players have that same freedom now. Oh, of course. It doesn't mean it's not messy and inconvenient and that, Many young men uh, won't make bad decisions. All those things will happen. But should they have that freedom of choice? Absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, on the basketball front, things are are looking much better for Virginia. (laughs) Uh, They're up to number two in the national rankings. They have a massive game Saturday when they host number five, Houston. We had some hopes there, David, that it might be one versus two. I think the voters rightfully put Purdue in that number one spot. Houston had the home loss to a very good Alabama team. They only dropped to five. Uh, One versus two would have been great. Two versus five isn't shabby. It is not, uh, especially for uh, mid-December non-conference game right before the holidays. Uh, It's – I don't know what the under is going to be, Mike, but (laughs) I would not bet the over – I mean, you talk about two teams who will grind you just to dust on the the defensive end. Uh, Houston's ranked number two nationally in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. And get this, Mike, they are blocking 22% of opponents' shots. That's, That's an outrageous number one out of every five shots they're sending elsewhere their their front court to me is just when, when you think about their second chance points their ability to score there the rebounding edge the shot blocking uh, they're almost like the pack line on steroids in some way right like if you somehow find a way to the rim that's not a great place to be against houston um and then, you know, to me, and I think we're seeing this from Virginia a little more this year, and, and we'll certainly find out about Reese Beekman and, and yeah, his injury. Yeah, that's, that's so huge right It's going to be huge for them on both ends of the floor. But both of these teams, what's so, to me, fun to watch is they're great defensively. They do grind you. That's a great word for it defensively. But Houston, maybe a little more, will take that ball and push it 
up the floor. They've got the athletes to go when they have the basketball. Um, they're almost two different styles of team to me. Like they're one team when they have the ball and they're another team when they don't. Um, and I think Virginia has shown some ability there. Um, certainly with Beekman, with Clark, with Ryan Dunn, uh, with Armand Franklin to, to, to get out and push the ball. But this is going to be, to me, that classic game of we always talk about getting a, a good shot, passing up a good shot for a great shot. Um, you don't want to take questionable contested shots, especially inside the arc uh, against this Houston team, because as you said, they're going to be redirected into the stands. They will. And the interesting thing, the Cougars aren't very tall. They're, I mean, they, they go like six seven, six eight, six seven across the front, but they're long and they're athletic. And man, they they can just the, the Alabama game was fascinating to watch because it looked like you know they were going to run Alabama out of there, and then you know Alabama is also long and athletic. I mean, they'd already beaten North Carolina in four overtimes uh, out in out in Portland, so uh, the Crimson Tide's got some chops there. I, you know, they're up up in the top ten now. Nate Oates doing a bang up job. Uh, in Tuscaloosa, the, and my nephew's been to a couple of their games <laughs> as well as, as as the football team's home games. But uh, I, I just think, and, and JPJ will just be rocking, and you just hope that Reese Beekman's hamstring allows him to play. Although I'll ask you this, Mike, if there's any question with the Miami game on Tuesday and then a long break, you don't risk it on Saturday. Do you, you've got to sit him if there's any question. I agree 100%. I mean, I, I look at Virginia with Reese Beekman as a team that could be playing on the final weekend of college basketball. Yes. I look at Virginia without Reese Beekman as a team that you hope can get through the second round of the tournament. I think it's that dramatic because of, of how good he is. That's not a knock on Virginia. It's about how good Beekman is defensively, about how explosive he is offensively. Um, for a team that still is going to have some questions offensively, they're going to have lulls, but he's a guy who can go get to the rack, right? He can crash in there, get to the rim, throw it down, kick it out. To me, they're a different team with and without him. Um, yes, of course, you'd love to be full strength and beat Houston. And Miami is going to be a massive game. Miami has been so good. But to me, yeah, if there's doubt, I say, hey, we'll see you in the new year, Reese Beekman, because that's when we're going to make a run for an ACC title and then hopefully a, a deep run into March. Hamstrings are so tricky, and they and they can become chronic. And, and that's what everyone, I'm sure, in Virginia wants to avoid here. Well, David, UVA is, isn't alone right now in the top 25 rankings from the Commonwealth. Virginia Tech broke in there at number 24 after their win over uh, Oklahoma State. Up in Brooklyn, which, which is a city that's been uh, good to the Hokies, right? Uh, they went there last year, made that amazing run. We were there to watch them win the, the ACC tournament. Does it feel a little bit like Mike Young's team is kind of flying under the radar despite the fact that they did win the ACC tournament last year? I think that's fair, uh, if, if only because the Hokies haven't had that signature non-conference victory yet. You know, Virginia goes out to, to Vegas and beats Baylor and Illinois and then goes to Michigan and, and beats the Wolverines. You know, th those are things that stick in, in pollsters' minds and in fans' minds. And, you know, Virginia Tech has had some good wins. I was particularly impressed, and I, and I know Dayton was shorthanded the other night, but to think that 
Virginia Tech could beat the preseason A-10 favorite by 30 and not have Justin Mutz take a shot? Yeah, that was wild. (laughs) I mean, he was in foul trouble. I guess he played 21, 22 minutes, but he did not attempt a shot from the field, knocked down a couple free throws. This, a game after scoring 27 against Carolina, but the Hokies have the, the depth of talent. And even inside, you know, with, with Lynn Kidd and Melijal Poteet, you know, they, they got 10 points combined against Dayton. Mike Young's got a lot of pieces to play with this year, more pieces than he's had previously in Blacksburg. Yeah, it's, that's part of what makes Mutt so fascinating because he can do so many different things. It, it really feels like even more, maybe in the past with Mutz, uh, and Tyrese Radford was like this before him, um, whatever you needed, he had to go yeah. do it um, to get by. It, it always, okay, whatever you need to get by, he can go do it. Now it feels like, hey, maybe you got everything covered and whatever you need to elevate, that's what he can do. And um I think that's a ch- has a chance to make them really good. They're playing, you know. I, I said this on television the other day. They're playing Mike Young basketball. Uh, great defense, sharing the basketball, unselfish, taking good shots, good with their assist to turnover ratio, um, and they've got some some pop from the outside. This is the way Mike Young wants all of his teams to play. Mike, are you changing careers on us? You were on television. No, I, the ACC network still loves uh, still loves my ugly mug, but uh, uh. especially when it comes to UVA and Virginia Tech stuff. But no, I, I just feel like you know we watched Mike Young for all those years at Wofford, and, and I wondered when okay he comes to Virginia Tech, he's going to recruit a higher level player, right? He's got better talent now. Granted, Hunter Couture was sort of a, a hidden gem there. That was I, I always think about what would that Wofford team have been if it had Kevin Aluma, uh, Hunter Couture, and Mike Young coaching it, uh, that, right. that never came to pass. But you know, he's got a higher caliber of talent, higher caliber of opponent, night in, night out as well. Uh, but his formula has not changed. And to me, that, that's impressive, but it's also why he's successful. No question. And he, he knows what, what he's what – he, he and his staff know what they want, how to go get it, and then how to develop it. Once they once they have them on campus, because I think we've we've seen from guys look at Sean Padula mm-hmm. this year. I mean, how much better is he than, than a season ago? Just the, the the player development component here is is striking. Yeah, and you know, I, I always joke that Padula, Couture, Crampasile, they they look like a early '90s boy band uh, <laughs> more than an ACC. Uh, basketball team and yet they are very very good and and i think you're right that you know certainly part of it is, is finding the right player and then a lot of it is developing and um having older guys who've been with you who know the expectations and yeah you know, i wrote about this after their carolina win the unselfishness it, it's just it's just in their dna dna and mike young said that's just who we are and um the players take pride in the idea of when they come in the day after a game and they watch that film if they pass on a, a pretty open shot and swing it for a great shot and the other guy scores, like that's a moment of pride in those team meetings. So um, yeah, we always talk about culture and uh, that's a very tangible to me part of their culture where there is an appreciation and pride in sharing the basketball in that way and um, passing up good for great, like they, they always say. Mike or Virginia or Virginia, excuse me, are Virginia and Virginia Tech the two best teams in the league right now? Uh, you know, from what we've seen, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, 
there there is a talent uh, at Duke and Carolina that's still going to come together and have to be sure. reckoned with. Um, there is a a developing juggernaut in Miami that, that deserves some consideration um, and may still prove to to be the real deal. But for my money, and again, it goes back to the defensive end of things. For my money, um, when you defend the way that UVA is defending, when you defend the way that Virginia Tech is defending, when you don't have the offensive holes um, that some other teams may have. Yeah, to me, you know, these are the two best teams in the ACC, and, and it's just it's been a lot of fun for guys like you and I to watch. It, it really has. And, uh, you know, when, once conference play kicks in, you know, the ACC last year went an entire regular season where not a single conference game matched ranked opponents. That's going to end pretty quickly, perhaps as soon as next Tuesday night when Virginia visits Miami. Oh, it'll certainly be be over for them because, you know, both of those teams have been impressive. I'm looking forward, not just because I love going to Miami. I'm looking forward to being down there for that game. And, um, you know, what what a test here. And and again, we've talked about on this podcast, your your conversation with Tony uh, at, at Media Day about testing this team with a challenging schedule, they've passed all these tests, and now here comes Houston, uh, who who just put it on them a year ago, uh, and then Miami, who is up in the conversation for for who's the best team in the ACC uh, of all the years. I think that we've covered Virginia. There was that year they played Villanova as well. Um, but in terms of flipping the calendar and having a good idea of what you've got, we're going to have a really good idea of, of what we've got with UVA basketball uh, once we wake up on, on January 1st. No doubt. And uh, I think most people uh, who who bleed orange and blue will like what they have when the calendar flips. I agree. Uh, the calendar will flip means it's also we're around bowl season, right? And the teams we cover, we, we don't have any bowl games to talk about. UVA and Virginia Tech uh, both falling far short of that six-win mark to be bowl eligible. And obviously, uh, having games taken off the schedule at the end, two of them for UVA following the tragedy and the, and the Tech-UVA game uh, being canceled, you know, an opportunity there. But bo- both of them short of bowl eligibility. A very deserving JMU team that we've talked about at times on this podcast left out due to an outdated, stupid NCA rule that that organization, <laughs> for whatever reason, stubbornly refuses to adjust. And it, to me, it's... Got Liberty playing though, right? We do have Liberty in a bowl game. Uh, we, we haven't covered them much. Maybe it's... Uh, you saw them play at least once, didn't you? Yeah, sure did against against Virginia Tech. So maybe that'll be the the game that we should send the entire staff to as the only. Uh, it's in Boca know, Raton, Mike. I, I mean, I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't <laughs> argue with that trip. Although it is nice to be home uh, for the holidays. No offense, I know Virginia and Virginia Tech fans would rather uh, see us off somewhere covering a bowl game, but uh, it's nice to be home for the holidays. The ACC missing out on the college football playoff again, but they're they're nine bowl games involving the conference. Uh, Clemson and Tennessee in, in what will be a very orange orange bowl. Uh, yes. Certainly disappointing that, that Hendon Hooker won't won't be a part of that. That would have made that uh, for me must see TV. Oregon North Carolina in, in what figures to be a very uh, offensive minded holiday bowl. Uh, both of those teams can, can certainly uh, score some points, and, and we've seen firsthand that Carolina's defense can give up some points. Uh, what matchup of the ACC bowls is most intriguing to you? Mike, I I will go a little off the radar and shout out our friends at the Duke's Mayo Bowl down in Charlotte, Uh, of course, because they do the Mayo bath for for the winning coach. 
But NC State and Maryland, you know, old ACC rivals going way, way back. And Dave Dorn in in his club had a disappointing season. Devin Leary's in the portal. He got hurt. He had the torn pec. But MJ Morris showed flashes. And, you know, to his brother at Maryland, they had a nice year at at seven and five. I think there could be some points in this game. And just the fact that it's 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 old ACC rivals. Give me the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yeah, that'll be a good one. That uh, and of course the Mayo Bath. You're right. Uh, maybe the biggest moment other than the national championship game in bowl season. <laughs> it's that's not hyperbole. It it is. It is hyperbole. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the soap opera soap opera drama. Absolutely. That is going to be the Fenway Bowl up in Boston, Louisville, Cincinnati. Meh, as a matchup, it's a fine game. Cincinnati was very good. Louisville kind of got it together as the season went. But the storyline there, David, as everybody knows, Coach Satterfield leaving Louisville, taking the Cincinnati job, and those are the teams matched up in a bowl game. I know. Can't I mean, it up. They, they've got to simulcast that on, on Telemundo with the telenovelas. That's how good the drama is. Now, Satterfield has said he's not going to be involved in coaching either team for bowl prep. He's going to be focused on, on recruiting for Cincinnati. Uh, that, that's going to be his, his focus kind of taking himself out, but man, th- that is a rallying cry. If ever I heard one for the Louisville players uh, to say, Hey, this is the team. This is the program that is so much better than us that our coach is leaving for that. Now things worked out. Okay. For Louisville, uh, yep. they got Jeff Brom, the Jeff guy they've Brom. wanted all along. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's been the match made in heaven. Uh, from the beginning. But David, if I'm a player, there's some juice to this bowl game, no? Oh, absolutely. Uh, You just, this guy deserted us for this program, and now we get a chance to play him? Come on, man. (laughs) That will be, and and what a debut for the Fenway Bowl. Because last year was supposed to be the first and it it didn't happen because of Virginia's COVID outbreak. And now they've got this soap opera on their hands. So if they they had Virginia, it would have been Broncos final game coaching after he announced he was stepping away. So mm -hmm. if you're, if you're Vegas and you're putting odds on bowl drama, I I would say 2023 Fenway bowl should be the early favorite going into the season because they seem to have a knack for finding coaching drama. They do. And, and Mike, here's just a quick trivia question for you. There are 41 bowls this season. There is only one that matches conference champions. Can you name it? Is it, is it going to be obscure? Yes. Yeah, because I, I just went through the college football playoff yeah. matchups, and I said, well, that's where it should be. It's not there. Yeah, that's the thing is because you only have two conference champions in the CFP. Yeah. Uh, who, who does the Sunbelt champ play? There you go. Yeah. And, what, and the, what game? It's the Cure Bowl in Orlando between Sunbelt champion Troy and Conference USA champion Texas San Antonio. So that's got to be the game everybody's waiting for, right? Yeah, and it's it's this week. It's Friday. <laughs> that's, that's where you want your best uh, championship yeah. matchup to H- be, H- right? Hitting leadoff, man. Yeah, absolutely. The Ricky Henderson of bowl games right there. <laughs> that's uh, that's phenomenal. David, before we get out of here, we, we do want to yeah. um, 
this, uh, acknowledge the passing of Mike Leach. Wow. Uh, I, I think you know it's certainly a tragic death at 61 uh, from a heart condition. Um, our, our thoughts and prayers certainly with uh, Mike Leach's family. And I think this generation of fan maybe knows Mike Leach a little bit as the goofy entertainer, right? The guy who said outlandish things and, and he was the pirate and, and, and all the, the Halloween candy post-game interview and and, and all that that joy and fun he brought. But yes, Mike Leach is an entertainer. He was an innovator. Um, what he did with air raid offenses uh, had a profound impact on college football. The number of coaches who are head coaches and coordinators right now who could call themselves Mike Leach disciples, uh, to me, uh, th- there's a pretty remarkable legacy there. Chief among them, Lincoln Riley. Absolutely. I mean, how many Heisman Trophy winners now have connections to Mike Leach? So uh, rest in peace to Mike Leach and thoughts to his family and and certainly the Mississippi State program on on their loss and uh, thinking of them. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite shows. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week. Next week.